Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Well, good morning. Continue our series in 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 11, so please do turn there and follow along. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So we're going to look at verses... Uh, 1 through 15. So let me read that first. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 1. This is what, what Paul says. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super-apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. A recent uh, advert for the position of pastor at a church in New Zealand uh, said the following. It said, Minister required for a growing charismatic church with a congregation of diverse backgrounds must have strong leadership qualities and the ability to cast vision, must be an excellent preacher, 
needs to demonstrate appropriate spiritual gifts, the ability to interact with influential figures in our local community is a definite advantage, attractive remuneration package with bonuses available when the church grows, which of course it will, just as Brother Ebenezer received the vision. Okay. Uh, I, w- I think if the church at Corinth put out an advert for a pastor, it may ask for someone similar. Uh, church in Corinth was extremely concerned about the outward. They wanted someone with uh, great eloquence, uh, sophisticated rhetoric. Uh, They loved that. You can see that in 1 Corinthians. Their favorite preachers were those who were more eloquent. Uh, We know the church, or the people in Corinth were uh, enamored with the, the philosophers who could argue any position with great eloquence and sophistry, and that crept into the church. Uh, they were also very materialistic, uh, and so they wanted pastors who reaffirmed their materialism. Uh, they wanted pastors who looked good. They wanted pastors who were influential in the community, very similar to what has been asked for here. And they also were obsessed with so-called spiritual gifts dreams and visions and these super apostles that had crept into the church and were trying to usurp Paul's authority as the one who planted the church, the father of this church. Uh, these are all the things they boasted and bragged about. We saw last week how they, they claimed to be the true apostles of Christ and that Paul was not. Uh, Paul continues to have to defend himself. So look at verse 1. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. So he says, please, Corinthians, bear with me in some foolishness. Uh, And what Paul means by this is that he says, this is foolishness that I have to defend myself. Uh, He he hated to have to defend himself. He didn't want to have to do that. He said, look, my life and the way I've treated you and all of these things should speak for itself. But you've been influenced by these false apostles, these false teachers, and now I have to play the fool. I have to defend myself. But he hated to do it. Uh, and so he, he's going to do it here, though, but in a very sarcastic way, especially when we come to, to later on in chapter 12 in Second Corinthians. Uh, but there is a place for this. Proverbs 26 verse 5, Solomon says this, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So Solomon says there is a time to answer a fool in his own foolish way, so that you expose how foolish he is, he has been. And so that's what Paul has in mind here. He hates to defend himself, but he does realize that if, if he is undermined, The gospel that he proclaims, the truth that he proclaims, and the Christ that he represents is also being undermined. And so Paul isn't concerned about, I just want people to like me, Uh, I have inferiority complexes, and so I just want to be liked, Uh, I have a desire for power, so I just want people to submit to me. That's not his motive here. His motive is, if you reject me, you're rejecting Jesus Christ. You re- if you're receiving another gospel, you will be damned because there is no other gospel. Remember, Paul tells the Galatians that. There is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. And so he's going to defend himself here. 
Verse 2, he reveals his heart. He says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. So people often think jealousy is is a bad thing. It's a weak thing. There is a, a, a sinister jealousy, a control freak jealousy, but there is a godly jealousy. You know that God is jealous over his people. He hates to see his church defiled. He hates to see believers being deceived by false teachers. It's right for a husband to be jealous of his wife. It's, it's right for a wife to be jealous of her husband and for parents to be jealous over their children and for you to be jealous of your church that God has added you to. A right jealousy to, to not see them hurt or damaged or dishonored. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I have a divine jealousy for you, Corinthian church, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And so Paul is the spiritual father of this church. Uh, and so he uses this, this metaphor, this analogy, saying, I, I'm the father, I planted this church, a spiritual father, uh, and I have a, this jealousy over you. The church is, is often portrayed as the bride of Christ. And so he says, you as the bride of Christ, I betrothed you to, to Christ. Betrothed is the idea of engaged. Uh, it seems that in the ancient world, in ancient Israel, betrothal engagement was a lot stronger than it is today. Uh, you can see this in some of the parables of the Lord Jesus. So it seems to be that uh, when there was an engagement and the father would betroth his daughter to the groom, the engagement would occur, the groom would then go away for a period of time to prepare a home, normally about a year, to prepare a home for his bride. And during that period, the bride was really being tested. Is she going to remain faithful? Is she going to keep herself for her, her groom? Is she going to be ready when he comes? Remember the parables of the Lord Jesus, of the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. Is she going to be ready and pure when her husband comes to take her and they are married and they enter into their new life and their new home? And really a, a picture here that Paul uses to say, we are the bride of Christ, we are engaged to Christ, we belong to him. He is coming back again for us. So the Bible teaches Christ will return in power and glory to destroy his enemies and to take his, his bride to the marriage feast of, of the Lamb, where we will be in the new heaven and new earth forever and ever. And this is a period of testing. And so Paul says, I, I as a father, I've sought to protect you. And so some of us have the privilege of being fathers to daughters. And so just some application here. There is a responsibility on fathers to really protect their daughters and to keep them pure. Uh, It is a a horrific thing when fathers don't take that responsibility seriously and even fathers are the ones who molest their own daughters. But it is right for fathers to protect their daughters. Uh, And fathers will know, those that have daughters, that You know, you might be the gentlest person on the planet, but there is a lion inside you that will awaken if someone tries to hurt your little little girl. Uh, That is right, a good jealousy. So look after your daughter to to care for her, to 
when you start to see there's some guy who's useless, okay? <laughs> uh, who's no good, doesn't love Christ. Um, you know, how to, how to get rid of bodies might be a book that you have to read. I don't, <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> Edit that part out. Edit that. Uh, uh, but that's the idea that there's this response. But Paul is saying, I have to protect you. Uh, I'm your spiritual father. I planted this church. And it's a privilege for me to be part of planting this church and for, for, for many to even be called a father, not in a popish way, but in a, in a good way. Uh, a spiritual father, it's, an, it's, a, it's a frightening responsibility and a glorious privilege. And it is. It's terrible when I see people in the church being in wrong relationships or going down the wrong path, making wrong decisions, being seduced by politics or this false teacher or that false teacher. It is a, a terrible thing. And that's why uh, we seek to proclaim God's word faithfully week in and week out so that nobody would be seduced to protect them and keep them for, for Christ. Look at Paul in verse 3 though. But I am afraid. He says, that's my heart. I've got this divine jealousy for you. But I'm afraid with everything that's happened, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so Paul takes us back to the very first marriage, Adam and Eve. Marriage is not some social construct or some uh, patriarchal invention to oppressed women or something like that. It was invented by God. God created marriage between a natural man and a natural woman right in the beginning, Adam and Eve. And God took Eve. It's a beautiful picture when you go and read in Genesis. As her father, her creator, he took her and gave her to Adam. And that first marriage in such perfection, in such an idyllic setting in paradise was broken through seduction. Through Satan coming, he seduced Eve. And that's the the first point of this sermon, seduction, support, and Satan, and the, the, this section, this passage breaks up quite nicely into those three parts. Seduction. Uh, the seduction of Satan. And Satan always works in the same way. What does he do? He casts aspersion on the Word of God. He questions the Word of God. Genesis 3, verse 3. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? That's how he always works. Even when he tempted Jesus, he misinterpreted scripture. He says, you know, jump from this building because, you know, the Bible says God will protect you. He won't let angels hurt you. He'll stop the angels from hurting you. Twisting the... The scriptures, exactly what the false teachers were doing and what they continue to do. They twist the, the scriptures. That's how you and I are deceived. That's how we are seduced. We're told in Genesis that Eve looks at the fruit. We're told that she, she saw that it was good. And so the lust of the eyes. Now Satan comes to, to get us. Lust of the eyes. Then, she's, then the Bible says she saw that it was good to eat. Lust of the flesh. 
And then she saw that it would make you wise. And remember what Satan said, you will be like God. Whereas chapter 1 and 2 told us they were made in the image of God already. And so again, Satan lies to them. And so uh, the pride of life. I want to be wise. I want to be like God. And so false teachers always appeal to our flesh. Whether it's cultural leanings or fleshly uh, sin. Uh, wherever, whatever our bent is, wherever we lean towards and what we like. That's how false teachers get us. They tell us what they want to hear. Paul tells us elsewhere, it's those who have itchy ears. False teachers are the ones who come and scratch us where we itch. They tell us what we want to hear. And the Corinthians were being seduced by these false apostles. These false apostles were just fulfilling what they liked already. Sexual sin was a part of the Corinthian culture. They didn't have a problem with sexual sin. They, don't, they weren't obsessed with holiness. Comfort was an ideal in Corinthian culture. These false apostles loved comfort. They loved money, materialism. They loved the external, looking good, sounding good, hanging around influential, wealthy people. That's what they, they enjoyed. And that was the culture of the day. They were also your typical narcissistic leaders. They were overbearing, domineering. They behaved like worldly people. And so Satan uses the same things, the same tactics. Questioning God's word, twisting God's word, appealing to our natural inclinations. And what is popular in the culture at the, at the time. And so Paul says they're being seduced. They're being led astray from what? A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, false teachers always take you away from Christ. We'll see how they attack the person of Christ. If you are not growing in your love for Christ, and a desire for Christ, if you're not seeing Him more clearly, then what are the influences in your life? Because false teachers draw you away from Jesus Christ as He is truly shown in Scripture. They've been drawn away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I think sincere is better translated as undivided. That reminded me of Psalm 86. Psalm 86 verse 11, Paul, uh, David says this, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart. And I think that's such a powerful uh, picture. Our hearts are, are being pulled in so many directions, aren't they? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, so many things, so many voices, so many attractions. And David says, Lord, please give me an undivided heart. I want a heart that is wholly committed to, to you. Not 50% to Christ, not, not, not even 99% to Christ. Not just Sundays we're, we're holy. We look good on Sunday. Everyone is a Christian on a Sunday. Okay, that's not difficult. <laughs> Nothing special about that. Uh, an undivided heart that on Monday at work, when 
when it's a difficult situation and I'm tempted to lose my temper, when I'm tempted to slander or falsely accuse or play the game of politics to get ahead, or when I come home and things don't go the way I wanted with my spouse or my children or my parents, become angry, all of those things. You see, that's, I want an undivided heart, a pure devotion to Christ that governs my whole life. It's undivided. My life is not divided. It's not fragmented. That my, my work is under the Lordship of Christ. My schooling is under the Lordship of Christ. My family life is under the Lordship of Christ. My church life is under the Lordship of Christ. Every sphere comes under His authority. Is your heart divided? Remember that you cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. Either you love the one, you hate the other. You cannot serve money and Christ. You can add anything else in the place of money. And again, we're told, the apostles tell us, a double-minded person will not receive anything from the Lord. We want to be undivided before God. That's what Paul is saying. You see, Satan comes and wants to draw you away from a, a holistic, undivided worship and love of Christ and so Paul says in verse 4, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Paul is using very strong language here. He's saying, these guys come with another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. And you, Corinthians, put up with it readily enough. You let these guys into your pulpit. So I know maybe for some, this series has seemed almost irrelevant. You say, well, it's not really a problem for me. You know, I, I, I don't see false teachers in our church. Everything seems to be fine. It's 100% relevant, though, because how is it that churches that started off well in 100 years or 50 years are talking nonsense? And then they're dead. Because they allowed false teachers into their midst. They were seduced by the devil. And so it must be a culture within the church that is passed from one generation to another. That the young people sitting here in 40, 50 years time, uh, when I'm in glory, <laughs> full of joy, this, been able to dance properly, been able to sing properly, uh, I'll have it all together, I'll, uh, then that the church will continue. That you won't give this pulpit to false teachers. You won't let people in with another gospel. And, and in the digital age in which we live, it doesn't mean that they even have to come here. We let them in through podcasts, through YouTube, through all sorts of avenues, and they influence people. So, as we said over and over again, who are you going to trust? The leaders who walk a road with you, who that you can see, or someone that you don't even know, but they just sound good on YouTube. See, Paul is saying, you guys know me. You've seen how I've lived. But they brought another Christ. They brought another Jesus. And in, to bring it into 
the 21st century, the world in which we live, there are many Jesuses, many Christs who are being proclaimed today. There's the health, wealth and prosperity Jesus. The Jesus who just wants you to be rich and never sick. There's the political Jesus on the left wing and the right wing. The social justice Jesus. More concerned about poverty than about sin against a holy God. There's the capitalist Jesus who is all about making money and sanctifying greed. The socialist Jesus who doesn't care about private property or taking responsibility for one's own actions. Leslie Newbegin, he was a missionary in India for about 40 years. Uh, he went from England and then he, he, he was in India and he came back to England and he was amazed at the change in the 40 years that he saw in England. The rejection of the gospel and Christianity. And what he said, it's quite interesting, he denied secularism. So secularism is the idea that religion should have no part in society. Religion should have no part in the schools, in government, in every sphere. And so uh, it's a common word that we use to describe the Western world, that it is secular. But he said this, he said, no, it's not secular. He said it's just, it is religious, but the idols are different. It's not that people have denied religion. He says they've just replaced Christ with other idols. And that's the truth. If you think about it, every, every group has its own gospel, don't they? Especially in the political realm, left wing, right wing. They have their own message. They have their own morality. Their own Ten Commandments. This is the right way to live. They have a sexual ethic, left wing, right wing. They have an eschatology, the way, the way they think things should go and uh, what the, uh, the world should look like. They are very clear on who's in and who's out. They have a way of salvation. They have their gurus, their leaders, their prophets. It's intensely religious. And everyone is trying to co-opt Jesus into their thing. But you see, you can't co-opt the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole of the Bible says that it's, you can't bring him in. You can't say, this is what I like, this is what I believe, I will add Jesus. The gospel and the whole truth of Scripture is, he is Lord, you're either on his side or you're destroyed. You don't ask him to join your side. I love the story in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua is, is told him, is going to the promised land and take Jericho. And uh, he goes out to look at the city and just to examine things. And while he's there, he meets this. Seems to be an angel. Later on, we see it's actually Christ. Uh, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate revealing of Christ. Joshua 5 verse 13 says this. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now remember, it's Christ. I'll show you just now how we know it's Christ. Verse 14, he answered and said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, 
What does my Lord say to his servant? And the, and the commander says, take off your shoes because the, the ground you're standing on is holy. Uh, you can always just tell, this is a bonus for reading the Old Testament. You can tell whether it's an angel or the Lord by whether they receive worship. Okay. An angel would never receive worship. An angel would say, don't stop doing that. But it's the Lord who receives worship. And he receives worship and says, take your shoes off. Okay. This is holy ground. Now notice what's going on here. Joshua says, whose side are you on? You're on our side or their side? Now what does the Lord say? No. <laughs> the Lord doesn't pick side. He's not, I think I'll choose their side or their side. You're either on his side or you're, against, you're either for him or against him. You can't co-opt him. You can't bring Jesus into your political agenda. You can't bring him into your social agenda, your lifestyle agenda, your financial agenda, your business agenda. You know people do that? Like, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And I just want to pray the Lord's blessing on it. Okay. <laughs> I've chosen what I'm going to do. I just want God to bless it now. Okay. No, you, you, you join his side. You don't co-opt him. You join him. And that's what Paul is saying. These people come with another Jesus. There's another Jesus a million different Jesus has been proclaimed all over the place and people are being seduced by it. And Paul says, you receive it. Another gospel. Which is no gospel. It's, no, it's not good news that you have to solve all the world's problems. You can't do it. It's not good news you have to do X, Y, and Z. It is good news that Jesus has done what you could not do. That's good news. It's not good news you must be this type of person or do this or do the next thing. It is good news that Christ has paid for your sins. That Christ has reconciled us to the Father. It's bad news when someone says this is what you have to do to be saved. It is good news when the gospel comes and says this is what Christ has done so you can be saved. If you're not saved, how do you receive that? Well, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Believe a wholehearted commitment and entrusting of yourself to Him, a turning from your sins and acknowledging Him as your Lord and Savior. Paul says that these false gospels, these false Christs behind them, are demonic spirits, another spirit. Behind all false teaching is a demonic spirit. Doctrines of devils. You see, false teachings are not something that's just interesting and uh, you, know, you know, fun for apologetics courses or something like that and just fascinating. It's demonic. Satan is a liar. Who hates you. You know that? He hates God, but he can't destroy God, so he goes after those who display God's image. And so he lies to you. He'll deceive you. Because he wants you to be damned. And so Paul says in verse 5, he's not in the least inferior to these super apostles. It's... it's it's a strong word. It's always like super fine, super fine apostles. You know, these, it's sarcasm again. You know, these, these mega apostles, these super apostles. They're not. 
they're false apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, and remember we saw that last week, Paul wasn't trained in, the, uh, in, in, in eloquence to try and manipulate people. He spoke powerfully because he just spoke plainly and he spoke the truth. He didn't try and manipulate people by pandering to them or, or watering down the gospel. But he says, even if I'm not a, you know, as good at speaking as them, I am not so in knowledge. You see, Paul has the truth, the gospel. That's what we have. Maybe you're not as eloquent as other people. Maybe on campus you think, they, sure, that guy sounds so clever and I don't really know what he's saying, but it sounds clever. Uh, uh, it's fine if you know the truth of the gospel you have the greatest message the most profound message on the planet that's hidden from people with 50 PhDs Jesus even said that Father I thank you you've hidden it from these guys but you've revealed it to babes you've got that message you can't answer every apologetics question that's, that's thrown at you But you have the gospel, you have the truth, you have the knowledge of Christ. Now, does that mean we shouldn't make an effort to learn and answer? No, not at all. But you'll spend the rest of your life studying full time if you're going to try and answer everything. At the end of the day, the most powerful message is the gospel. As Spurgeon said, I don't need to defend the scriptures. The scriptures are a lion. I just need to release them. The next section, so that's seduction. The next section is support. It's verses 7 to 12. We'll just go through this quickly. Paul says, I didn't burden you by asking for money. I didn't charge you for preaching the gospel. Uh, Now, it's interesting that we've seen already that Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, defended faithful ministers being paid. Uh, So Paul is not against that at all. But he says, I didn't put a burden upon you. And uh, he, uh, he doesn't take money for himself from them, although he is happy to ask them to help with the care of the Jerusalem church. Uh, but he doesn't want to place this burden upon them. And I also think it, the burden is more like a stumbling block to them because it, it seems that the false apostles were very greedy. And they fitted right into the Corinthian culture. Okay? You see that with the health, wealth, prosperity guys, don't you? Their obsession is money. And of course the people in their congregations love it because it sanctifies their greed. No longer are you just a greedy person who wants 20 cars and five apartments in all the major cities on the planet and you know, overseas trips all the time and all of those things. Now it's, it's holy. You know? It's actually a sign of God's blessing. Uh, And so your greed can be sanctified. I don't need to feel bad about being greedy and materialistic. Now I can actually say this is a sign of God's blessing. And so uh, the false teachers, why they listen to them is because they sanctified their own evil desires. You can see this in verse 12. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. So I think Paul is saying that we don't work on the same terms. And so Paul, so that there wouldn't be confusion, doesn't put a burden upon them and take financial support from them so that people will see there's a difference. 
And some of the decisions at Heritage we do for that very reason in terms of the culture. Uh, There is nothing wrong with sending the bag around on the first day of the week, put aside money. Paul taught that. But we say we're not going to do that. We have boxes there. If anyone wants to give, please give. And But really, members, we want you to give. But we're not asking visitors to give. We're not every week asking for more and more money. Because why? Most people in, in the Western church, they think church is synonymous with asking for money. <laughs> That's what they think. We have lots of people asking, why don't you ask for money on Sunday? Why don't you ask for money? And so it's a good conversation starter. It's a good way to show why we do that. Just a, a way of separating us from other churches. We're not after your money. If you're not a believer, we, we don't want your money. We have something for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the third and final point is Satan. Verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. It's pretty pretty strong language, isn't it, right? They're false apostles, pseudo-apostles, deceitful workmen. Workmen is a phrase often used of missionaries. They're deceitful missionaries. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ, as though they are sent by Christ. That's who they really are. And Paul says, verse 14, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Did you know that? Do you think, no, I'll definitely pick up if something's satanic. I've just got that sixth sense, you know. Because you think it's going to be like a horror movie. Like the music will be playing. There will be horns sticking out. It will look like the person on the Manchester United badge. <laughs> That's just a call to repent. If you <laughs> but you think, oh, it's, you'll have horns and a tail. And you know, I just know evil stuff. You know, because sacrificing animals and things like that. And um, burning cats and that kind of thing. I know that's satanic stuff. Do you know what... As I said before, that's not a big deal in Scripture. Billions more people are damned through false teaching, through the seduction of Satan, than through that kind of thing. It's through false apostles. It's through people who come in the name of Christ. Notice they're not coming with another Christ in the sense of another religion that says we deny Jesus, we've got nothing to do with Christianity. They came. They said, we're apostles. We knew Christ. We're sent by Christ. One of the most startling realizations, I only had it unfortunately quite late in life, was the, the account in Exodus. Remember when they come out of Egypt and they, they go into the wilderness and Moses goes up Mount Sinai and he's with the Lord a long time and eventually the people get bit twitchy and they, you know what's happened he's gone now and they say Aaron you do something for us so Aaron says give me your gold and he makes these golden calves so I knew you know I knew that part and I knew the idolatry and how horrific it is and then there was sexual immorality and 
uh, horrific. But I, it was only much later I realized, do you know what they called those golden calves? They said, said, this is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. They used the Lord's covenant name, Yahweh, Jehovah. You see, they didn't deny Jehovah, but they, they changed who Jehovah was. And so it is with false teachers. It's easy to come if they just reject Jesus. If they just deny Jesus Christ and they want nothing to do with Jesus, well then, you know, people are not deceived by that. Who claim to be Christian, who, grow up, who are in the church or grow up in, in Christian society. But when they come and they say, no, we are Christian. And they preach Jesus. And they even use the Bible. Just like Satan did with the Lord Jesus. But they twist it. You see, people drop their guard, don't they? Because they think, oh, it must be okay. You know, uh, that uh, saying, you know, people, students will come and say, uh, I'm going back home, I need to find a church back home, or I'm moving, I need to find a church. And I used to often say, you need to find a church that preaches the Bible and believes the Bible. But I've changed that totally, because every church does that, Okay. I mean, if you walked into the church and the guy said, well, let's just open a Stephen King novel, okay? <laughs> you'll get out. They all open the Bible. They all talk from the Bible. But what are they saying? It's another Christ. They're twisting it, just like Satan. It did God really say, and they, they twist what the historic church has held for millennia. Doctrines that have been worked out over centuries, the church has held to. It's the height of arrogance to come and say, no, we've figured it out now. We reject all that history. We reject all the teachers that God has given to the church that he promised to give in Ephesians. He said, I will give the church pastors and teachers. And so it's not just a church that preaches the Bible or opens the Bible. He's a lot more subtle because he comes as an angel of light. That's how they come. And that's what he says. So that's why you have a responsibility to study God's word. To be like the Bereans. That Luke says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Because they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was really true. And so don't, uh, just because someone's up here or has their own podcast or YouTube channel does not mean they're perfect. They have it all together. You have a responsibility to study God's word and to realize that Satan will come as an angel of light. And so, verse 15, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. When you read the Gospels, you see this with the Pharisees, don't you? Everyone thought the Pharisees were the pinnacle of righteousness. They were the the right guys. And Jesus says in John 8, No, you're of your father the devil. They were imitators of Satan. They were liars. They looked so good on the outside. Later on in in Matthew, the Lord Jesus says, They're whitewashed sepulchres. They're painted nicely, but on the inside they're dead. And so it is with these guys. And all false teachers. And so be on the lookout. Be aware Now, how does all of this point to Christ? Well, it's by contrast. What is Christ like? 
He doesn't try to seduce anyone or deceive anyone or manipulate anyone. He doesn't come as though he were light. He is the light. Remember, he says that. I am the light. He is the light of the world. And light throughout Scripture points us to the Scriptures. Remember the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. What does light do? It it makes things clear for us so we can see where we're going. The truth does that. It's a synonym for the truth. False teachers bring lies. The truth is the truth. It sets us free. Light is synonymous with goodness. And it's synonymous with life. And if you don't have those things, then come to Christ because He is the light. He won't deceive you. He won't manipulate you. He won't take advantage of you. He is the light. Come to Him. Come into the light. Now, it is painful at first. You know that experience I did that to my sons this morning because they were really tired and I was trying to get them up so I switched the lights on. (laughs) It's that painful period. So it is painful to come into the light. Your sins are exposed. You see what you're really like even just in a little way, not fully yet. But then there's cleansing and freedom and love. Acceptance from from God Himself. So come into the light. Come to Christ. And then you know what the Scriptures say, this incredible thing. Jesus said it. You are the light of the world. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then He applies it to His people. We are the light of the world. We are the ones who have the truth, who should have goodness and beauty. The Gospel. As we go out into our different spheres to bring that light. Leslie Newbegin, I close with this quote. He says this, If the gospel is to challenge the public life of our society, if Christians are to occupy the high ground, he put it in quotations, I'm not just trying to be cool, but in, which they they vacated in the noontime of modernity, it will not be by forming a Christian political party or by aggressive propaganda campaigns. See that? You're not going to change the world. You're not going to be light through a political party or aggressive propaganda or social media flooding it with your political views and your Jesus who's pro-vaccine or Jesus who's anti-vaccine or (laughs) whatever Jesus you've co-opted. Once again, it has to be said that there can be no going back to the Constantinian era. Constantine, the Roman Empire, Roman Emperor, he, he made Christianity the official religion. He says, we're not going back there. It will only be by movements that begin with the local congregation, the local church, in which the reality of the new creation is present, known and experienced, and from which men and women will go into every sector of public life to claim it for Christ, to unmask the illusions which have remained hidden and to expose all areas of public life to the illumination of the gospel. But that will only happen as and when local congregations renounce an introverted concern for their own life and recognize that they exist for the sake of those who are not members 
as sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. It's not by withdrawing into our little cult and we just create a Christian ghetto, nor is it by trying to take political control. It's by faithful churches loving one another, caring for one another, living out the Christian life, being discipled, going back into the different spheres of life and showing what it means to be a Christian in your work environment, showing what it means to be a Christian in your family as you raise your children, showing what it means to be a Christian in your school or in college, whatever sphere you find yourself in. That we are a sign, we are the light, we are a foretaste of the new heaven and new earth. We are image bearers of of God. May God help us to be faithful to that. Let's, Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you again for Paul. And Lord, thank you that you put him in this situation as I've been thinking about it this past week. Paul hated to do this. He hated to write this letter. He hated to defend himself. But you put him in such a situation that he had to do this. And so we learn more about what it means to be a faithful pastor, a faithful leader than perhaps any other book in the Bible. We learn how to deal with difficulties. We learn about the sufferings and trials of ministry and the seduction and abuse and manipulation of false teachers. It's something like Job. We thank you that you put Job through what you put him through so that we could see that Suffering is not always because of sin, but sometimes it's a display to the world and to principalities and powers that you are more valuable than comfort and treasure and relationships and anything else. You are worthy, Lord Jesus. So please minister to us. Pray that you would preserve our church, that we would be those who, who remain faithful to the truth and that we are light and salt in this world. And bless our feeble endeavors. In Jesus' name. Amen.